You're listening to the IRE Radio Podcast. IRE with you on your beat for 40 years. This week, we're talking to a reporter who's been making headlines for both his work and his personal story. I'm George Varney, and this episode is all about Nigel Jaquis, an award-winning reporter working at an alternative weekly paper in Portland called the Willamette Week. He's gone up against some of the biggest names in Oregon politics and ended the careers of many he's investigated. He's quick to spot a lie, and he's not afraid to call someone out for a less-than-genuine answer. Last year, Jake was found himself at the center of a hilarious and short-lived scandal after Republican Senate candidate Mark Callahan spotted him writing the words blah, blah, blah on his notepad while another candidate was talking. All this took place during a round of endorsement interviews. You want to talk about disrespect? I see what you're writing down there. You just wrote down blah, 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 blah for everything that Joe Ray said. Joe Ray is a respectable woman. Why are you not respecting her by writing blah, 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 blah on your notepad? In our habit of slapping gate on the end of everything, the incident became known as blah, blah, blah gate, and it got picked up by Fox News. Here's a clip of the conversation between Callahan, the first voice you'll be hearing, and Fox News' Tucker Carlson. I think they were just on a power trip, and they were basically trying to control the meeting. And uh, it's, fairly a, it's a fairly liberal paper, and uh, they were basically trying to manhandle us Republicans out here in Oregon. And uh, it was not something I could stand for, especially when they were dishonoring a fellow candidate. Working for some sad little weekly paper in Oregon? They're on a power trip? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Perspective in order. <laughs> Hey, sad little weekly, it is not. Coming up, IRE contributor Shelby Mann talks to Jayquist about his unusual path to journalism and his process for investigating some of the most powerful politicians in the state. Jayquist also walks us through his powerhouse investigation, First Lady Inc., which earlier this year led to the resignation of longtime Oregon Governor John Kitzhaber. Before we get into the details of Nigel Jayquist's reporting career, I want to take a minute to describe the links he'll go to to get a story. Most of Jayquist's investigations aren't easy to nail down. Sometimes he'll report on and off for over a year. Sometimes he'll get a great tip, only to have the story go cold. But he doesn't give up, even when faced with tips that seem nearly impossible to verify. Once, when investigating former Portland Mayor Sam Adams, he found a key source using three vague clues a general location of an apartment building, a view that looked out over a piano store, and a first name, John. So I found the piano store. I looked, at, tried to figure out which apartment building had a window that looked out over it. I got a directory of everybody who lived in the apartment building. It was a big building, several hundred units. And, and then I started contacting all the people named John who lived in that building at that time. And it was really a needle in a haystack process. But he did it. He found the right John, and the information he gained proved valuable to the investigation. It is a process sometimes of just saying, okay, if this is true, there are people who know it's true, and and if I ask the right questions in the right way, uh, maybe they'll help me. In many ways, that process seems to sum up Nigel Jaquis. He's patient, he's persistent, and he's also probably blessed with a healthy dose of good luck. 
Jayquist works for Portland's Alt Weekly, The Willamette Week. But, as you'll hear later in the show, reporting for a smaller newspaper has never stopped him from going after some of the biggest names in Oregon politics. He's taken on governors and mayors, and we have a feeling he's just getting started. Jayquist hasn't been a journalist all his life. After graduating from Dartmouth College, he spent 11 years trading crude oil and government bonds in New York and Singapore for places like Cargill, Morgan Stanley, and Goldman Sachs. But in his early 30s, a series of events forced him to pause. Both of his parents died and his wife gave birth to their first child. He stopped to consider where he was in life. He liked his job and he was paid well, but it wasn't what he wanted to do. Jayquist found himself pursuing a writing career. His first attempt was a novel about the Russian organized crime groups that actually have a fairly large role in the world oil markets uh, intersecting with uh, people in, in New York. He finished the novel in six months, sent it to agents, and was told it wasn't good enough to sell. This led him to journalism. I just learned that there was a huge difference between journalism and fiction. And I, I'd been a big reader of both, but I never thought about how they were done. And so I think I learned the uh, craft of, of uh, journalism in that if you put together the right blocks in the right order, it's like building a wall or, or making a piece of furniture that you, you can actually uh, produce something that somebody will pay you for, unlike fiction where you could write the same sentence a hundred times and if people don't want to pay you for it, they won't. He went to Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism and received a less than stellar rating on the first article he ever turned in. My first uh, assignment came back with a comment that said this is something that no uh, earthling would recognize as journalism. Although he was interested in document-driven long-form stories, he didn't take any investigative classes while at Columbia. But his first story at the Willamette Week introduced him to the watchdog world. I was really fortunate. The first big story I worked on was about a basketball player. It wasn't an investigative story, uh, but it had it was the best player in Oregon, and he was destined for you know uh, Division One and possibly the NBA. And uh, he was a really uh, talented kid, but also very badly behaved. And um, I, I followed him for weeks, and then I sat down with him one day in the library, and I said, you know, I wonder about your academic uh, progress. How are you doing in school? And he told me he was basically, his GPA was under a 1.0, and I said, how how could you play with that? And he said, well, there's really no, you know, th there's no rules on that. I can play as long as I come to school. So I wrote this 3,000-word story, and it had one important line in it, which was his GPA, and that got the attention of the Portland School District and the school board changed their policy for uh, academic, uh, for extracurricular per participation uh, based on the one line in that story that I'd spent weeks and weeks and weeks writing. And that story, that single line, was a turning point for Jayquist. So I realized, wow, you know, I'm working for an all-weekly that has a lot of uh, rock and roll and sex ads and all that kind of stuff that all-weeklies had a lot more of in those days. And yet, if I go out and, and find, you know, provable facts and put them in a story, I can, uh, I can have an impact and I can get people to change policies and uh, I can change people's lives. And it was really a eureka moment for me.
Today, Jay Quist is well-known for his investigative journalism. He's got a Pulitzer, two IRE awards, and several other accolades. But that doesn't mean he gets to just sit back and work exclusively on investigations. He's one of just three reporters at the paper, so he has daily responsibilities as well. By juggling day turns and longer pieces, Jayquist has developed a methodical process for launching an investigation. Here's how it starts. You know, if I get a tip, uh, uh, why, why is this something the public ought to know about? Uh, is it true? Can I prove it? The Willamette Week gets way more tips than it could ever publish. So Jayquist uses the filter to decide which ones are worth pursuing. And if a tip passes the test of being relevant, important, and true, Jayquist moves to the next step in his process documents. Let's say I were investigating a politician or a a corporate executive. What are all the ways in which that person has intersected the public record? What are all the useful ways in which I could find out information about that person or about the situation I'm looking at uh, from public records? Before he starts calling anyone, Jayquist goes through all of the documents he can get his hands on, creating a chronological list of events. After scouring the public records, he moves on to people. And then I start identifying who, who do I want to talk to first, you know, I draw a circle with the subject of the story or the target of the story in the middle and start from the outside of the circle and work my way in, starting with people who are motivated to help me or motivated in some way to be part of the story, then go to people who are neutral, they often are bureaucrats or people who have knowledge in the course of their public or official capacity, but don't really care either way about the story, and end up uh, speaking last to the subject of the story, because by the time I get to them, I want to know as much as possible and be able to ask the right questions. During the reporting, Jaquist tries to come in as prepared as possible, understanding that people aren't always willing to talk or to tell the truth. There's nothing worse than uh, asking a question that you don't know the answer to, because oftentimes you're You may only get one crack at a person, and you you better be absolutely prepared when you get there to get that interview. It's a process that has served him well, but Jaquist doesn't take all of the credit. And I love working for the people I work for because they have regularly uh, bet the paper on me, or I shouldn't say regularly, they bet the paper on me on at least two occasions, and they have always supported me in going after uh, people and institutions that wield a lot of power. One of those power players was Sam Adams, the Portland mayor we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. In 2009, right around the time Adams was sworn in as the city's first openly gay mayor, Jayquist published a story showing that Adams had lied about having a sexual relationship with a young legislative intern. And while Adams survived two recall attempts... He went uh, from being sort of this national figure to a guy who served out his term in kind of relative disgrace and uh, left politics after that. A few years earlier in 2005, Jayquist won a Pulitzer for his coverage of former Governor Neil Goldschmidt. His reporting revealed that during his time as mayor, Goldschmidt had repeatedly sexually abused a 14-year-old girl. When Goldschmidt learned about the story, which was published in May 2004, he resigned from two major boards and lost his position of power in the state. And after our break, we'll be talking about the latest politician to come face-to-face with the power of Jayquist's pen, Governor John Kitzhaber. So, Jayquist certainly has some sort of reputation among Oregon's leaders, and we were curious to know what he thinks that is. People joke with me that they never want to talk to me and they never want to hear you know, from their assistant or secretary that I'm calling. And I, I, I don't know, I mean... Uh, I I suppose at this point that people are cautious 
uh, around me, and, and maybe I make people somewhat nervous. But he's also found some perks to having that reputation, especially since he does work at a paper that's normally lower on a source's callback list. They can't ignore me or our paper, not that they ever really could, but, but it, 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 it probably makes it easier to get a phone call ultimately returned in the sense that they know uh, that I'm not going to take no for an answer and, and that if I'm calling them about a serious issue that I, that I am a, a, you know, a serious person and, and that they, they probably ought to return my call. When we come back, Jake will be talking about his latest hostile source and the reporting that brought about his resignation. Kitzhaber had just become Oregon's first four-term governor when in February of this year he resigned amid an influence-peddling scandal, one brought to light by Jayquist. Kitzhaber was a mythic figure in Oregon politics. He was charismatic, he was attractive, and he was well-known on the national level for advocating for more efficient health care. Newspapers agree. John Kitzhaber is best prepared to serve as governor. With Kitzhaber's pragmatic centrist approach and proven leadership skills, thousands of new jobs have been created. Kitzhaber can bring opposing factions together, creating reforms in health care and education. The Democrat had been a fixture in Oregon politics for decades. He won his first term in 1995 and was later re-elected. He took a break after his second term, but was elected for a third term in 2010. And he came back with a lot of promise. President Obama had recently signed the Affordable Care Act, and Kitzhaber was eager to offer Oregon as a guinea pig for innovative forms of health care. But that promise wasn't enough to keep Kitzhaber afloat. His health care plans eventually crumbled, and another problem surfaced. Sylvia Hayes was Kitzhaber's fiancé, and during his time in office, she had assumed the title of Oregon's First Lady. At the same time, she continued to pursue her own career as a consultant on energy and economic issues. Even before Kitzhaber took office, Hayes found herself the subject of a mini-scandal after she received a federal stimulus contract it was clear she didn't deserve. It was pretty clear, even though she was never charged with any wrongdoing, that she got it because of her, she got the contract because of her relationship with Kitzhaber. Jayquist covered that investigation, and it piqued his interest in Hayes. So he slowly began to gather string, asking about her as he went about his other coverage. Then, in early 2014, Hayes got a ticket after she used a parking pass from the Oregon State Police, which protects her and the governor, on her personal vehicle when she went to make a speech. So I wrote a small story about that, and sure enough, as soon as I write that story, I'm I'm hearing some really substantive tips from people about other stuff that she's up to involving contracts and, you know, using the governor's office to, to get private consulting contracts in the same areas in which she is advising the governor. So, you know, sounds like a conflict of interest to me. So Jayquist kept digging. While Hayes wasn't collecting a paycheck, she was listed as an advisor to the governor and considered a public official, someone beholden to state ethics laws. I started looking around. What contracts does she have? What is she doing for those contracts? Who are her clients? And I was able to to find some information. She puts out a monthly newsletter because she has a consulting business that she never shut down. And so I could get some of the client interest from that. I could see some of the clients listed on his state uh, 
financial disclosure forms, so I had a general idea of what she was up to. Kitzhaber was up for re-election in 2014, and in July of that year, Jayquist began filing public records requests for emails and other documents so he could get a start on the story well before the election. But unsurprisingly, he ran into a massive obstacle. The governor's office stonewalled me. Uh, They never gave me uh, anything of substance on my July records request and several several subsequent requests until first week in October. And by that time, I had a pretty good idea that she was selling access to the office and that he was benefiting from that because they're, you know, they live together, they have a common household. Um, so I knew it was a pretty good story, but they, and so did they, and that's why they were basically violating the state's public records law by not giving me the emails and do- other documents I had requested. The Willamette Week published a story titled First Lady Incorporated in October 2014, and it caused some damage. In the 3,500-word piece, Jayquist described Hayes' ability to move seamlessly between her role as first lady and that of a private consultant. Hayes sometimes used her title of first lady when making appearances for her consulting work. She pushed for economic and energy policies while simultaneously collecting payments from advocacy groups trying to influence those policies. Kitzhaber had been ahead of his Republican competitor by over 20 points in the polls, but won the election by only six. So it hurt him but it didn't quite have the impact Jayquist was looking for. However, things began to heat up in January after another news outlet, the Portland Tribune, wrote a story that Hayes had received over $118,000 from her consulting firm, which she didn't disclose on her federal tax form. And on February 5th, Jayquist got one of those tips he so patiently waits for to bring the story to fruition. And things then quickly spun out of control, um... I, I, I on February 5th, uh, I got a uh, tip that the governor had asked for several thousand of his emails to be deleted from a state server. These were he he used like Hillary Clinton. Uh, he didn't use a, an official email account. He used personal a series of personal accounts. And I got a tip that his assistant had asked the state to delete his emails, and and that just caused a real firestorm and. Uh, uh, right after that, um, the feds swooped in. I had reported in early January that the FBI was investigating the influence peddling, basically, that we that I had reported on in October. So the day after I reported that he was trying to destroy these emails, um, the FBI served a, you know, a, a huge subpoena, a series of subpoenas on all the state agencies that the First Lady had been involved with and on the governor, and um, within a week he resigned. I am announcing today that I will resign as governor of the state of Oregon. I must also say that it is deeply troubling to me to realize that we have come to a place in the history of this great state of ours where a person can be charged, tried, convicted, and sentenced by the media with no due process and no independent verification of the allegations involved. In the months following Kitzhaber's resignation, Jayquist continued to dig up information. He reported Kitzhaber was planning to force a major confrontation with the Oregon Education Association one of the most powerful groups in Oregon's capital. Now, Jayquist won't reveal too many details about the two investigations he's currently working on. However, both involve Oregon politicians. But he did say he tends to see some common themes in his work. Money problems, uh, substance abuse, and uh, uh, affairs of the heart, I guess you'd say. Everybody has some problems in one or more of those areas. Some some people have problems in all of them, and uh, it, it just doesn't 
stop, but I'm working on some of those kinds of stories right now. When we first spoke with Jayquist, the results of the 2014 IRE Awards hadn't been announced. Now, however, we can report that his reporting on First Lady Inc. won an IRE medal, our highest honor for investigative reporting. We have links to all of Jayquist's investigations in our show notes available at ire.org podcast. As always, if you have any questions or comments about the podcast, IRE, or anything else, our inbox is always open. We'd love to hear your ideas for future guests and stories. IRE web editor Sarah Hutchins edits the podcast. Additional editing on this episode was done by IRE Sean Shinneman. You can reach me at georgev at ire.org. That's G-E-O-R-G-E-V at ire.org. That's it for this episode. From Columbia, Missouri, I'm George Varney. Podcast. Podcast.